essentially was more people saying, hey, there's going to be more bank failures to come. What does this mean for the economy? Because it could be crippling. And there's this comparison to the great financial crisis and meltdown of many banks. Mm-hmm. And there potentially being some concerns that we're going to see a repeat of that. Welcome into another episode of Money Moves, where we talk all things stocks, real estate, investing, and personal finance to help you on your March to a million and beyond. Of mm-hmm. course, your host, Matty A., my co-host, Mr. Breedwell. What What's to do? Up, oh, you know, just hanging out, getting ready to... I'm heading across the puddle here for a couple weeks. The pu- Not even the pond. It's a puddle, huh? I call it a puddle. Is it called the pond? I thought it was yeah, the puddle. Yeah, it's the pond. That's what, the, that's what all the, the Europeans call it. That's how cultured I am. Yeah, you're going to fit in just fine. As long as you can pop bottles of wine, you got your stash my going. stash going again, folks. A yes. lip blanket is ripping and warm. <laughs> well, welcome into the show today. If you are new here, thank you for tuning in. Thank we are you. live on YouTube as well as, of we course, are. recording this for all of our Millionaire Mindcast listeners that are tuning in from the podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. And of course, if you enjoy anything that we talk about, all we ask is that you take two seconds to leave a review. And of course, we got all kinds of great freebies, tools, products, and resources for you guys uh, at millionairemindcast.com in the store. Most importantly, if you've got an investment portfolio and you want Ryan and his amazing team to come through that and create a plan for you, compare apples to, I guess, apples, apples. Yeah. Um, you can text the word X-ray to 844-447-1555 as well as my credit investors. If you are not on my deals list, you're looking for passive income opportunities, text the word the deals to 844-447-1555. That at least gets you on the list and notified of when those opportunities and offerings come out. I only put that out to my uh, credit investor network. And Christmas came early, y'all. We got uh, the two physical rich life officially in stock again after selling out. So we got the the big one, which was our most popular one, and the smaller one. Uh, those are at the Millionaire Mindcast uh, store as well. That being said, we had a pretty positive week last week in terms Great of data. Week. I said it before and I'll say it again. You're a dumbass if you pulled your money out of the market last year. <laughs> well, just that's. I am just gonna going to go right ahead in. and make sure that is crystal clear. S and P's up about nine percent year to date. Um, that's from a couple of days ago. The past couple of days could have uh, moved that. Just what a time to be an investor. Dividends were just paid at the end of March. Uh, we got April rolling around. Summer's here. Earnings season is back again. Which we will be talking God about. Bless America. Yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about earnings. Uh, we've got uh, some interesting headlines still continuing to find their way into mainstream media about potential bank failures. We're going to get your talk and take on that, mm. your passionate uh, talk and take on that. And additional data coming out on the housing market, housing starts, and Blackstone did yeah. a historical, <laughs> insane raise. Not, We're going to talk about at least it. My prediction, Ryan's prediction on what they're going to be doing with that fund Mm -hmm. and how that might impact you, as well as some additional, I just released a video last week of this trillion dollar meltdown that they're talking about in commercial real estate and how that domino effect could potentially um, cripple a a lot of 
sectors of the commercial real estate market and ripple out into other areas. But how likely is that? And one that is continuing to uh, actually gain a little bit more momentum than people ever thought that it would in terms of distress. So we'll be digging into all I that today. Don't forget, here. if you're watching this live, drop your comments, your questions in yeah. the chat. Get some questions up, y'all. So with that being said, last week, let's just circle back to um, the Fed inflation. Inflation number. CPI, yeah. PPI came out. CPI was cool, but PPI, I was expecting a PPI number that was going to be actually a little hot. I think if everybody remembers, I will uh, I will wave my winner flag very high and proud when I'm right. And I do it most of the time. Uh, when I'm wrong, I'll also fall on my sword. A uh, nice and, thing is I'm normally wrong and it's an error in y'all's favor. So I like I like it when I'm wrong. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Talk about what your thoughts were on PPI and why. I wanted, I've, I was tracking inflation data producer. So what I was, what happened was that made my eyes pop a little bit is Levi's, uh, like Levi Strauss, the jean company. They had a really poor, um, about a 26% pullback in their stock. And the main reason is their inventory was piling up. And so I was saying, okay, well, Levi Strauss is a pretty, I mean, pants are worn pretty frequently by everybody that that jean company has been around for over a hundred years. Um, I started to notice that the inventory reported numbers like on 13 K's, which are the uh, quarterly reports from these companies and 10 K's reporting that they had inventory pile up or they weren't going to be able to pass through as much as the discounts or the sales or the promotions because they're starting to catch back and hit their books on the um, debit side. Mm -hmm. So that told me, oh man, we may have a PPI number that's going to be much higher and hotter than expected because the producer price index, that's exactly what it tracks. How much are the producers having to absorb in cost before they pass that through essentially onto right. the consumer? Which we were seeing some of the consumer side pullback, which was positive. Correct. We weren't sure if the producers were seeing it yet, the manufacturers. Well, not only that, I, th I think that they were... They were the consumers were pulling back so they were spending less, but that almost works against them because they need the consumers to spend more. But when they spend more, they're spending more because they're discounting. So yep. they're taking a loss on margin. 
And then when the consumers are pulling back and not spending more, that's a that's a bad news, good news metric right now for the stock market, kind of like where we were in 2020. Um, but then their inventory piles up. So you have this catch-22 going on, and it's a very fine balance of, of, the, of the sweet spot. I was wrong, and not only was the PPI number in line, it was negative. It was a, it was a, big it was a huge beat. And that is what has started the last few days that we've been seeing in the market. We had huge volume. Uh, yesterday, we had nice end-of-day volume. Or yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, we had nice end-of-day volume. It's Tuesday today. Um, market was a pretty flat today. We had some profit taking um, as far as on indexes. But as uh, stocks uh, as a whole, we saw about 42% of the stock market uh, in the green and above it, their 200-day and 50-day moving averages. So when the stock market's been bad, it's been looking like this where it's moderately acceptable. You're not going to make money every single day in the stock market. just not possible. And when it's good, the the ratio or the breadth on penetration is like three to one. You're getting three buys to one sell. So it's it's quite the case to be a bear right now is is not very good. And it's 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 always easier to be in my position and be somewhat of a permeable, meaning that there's never it's not a bad time to invest ever. You just got to move your money around and put it different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bear case of Hey, there's no, there's no longer a soft landing and a hard landing. I said it probably three months ago. How about no landing? I don't know if I was the first person to say that, but I'm pretty sure I was like, there's a, I don't think the landing cares. And then we look back to the stock market back to 1927. We do have one time where the stock market pretty much said, fuck it to the data. And we had a recession on paper, but the stock market plowed through and kept going. And I think that was back in the 1940s, I believe. Um, so this scenario hasn't happened, has not, uh, excuse me, this scenario has presented itself before and has happened. It's just been a long time, about a hundred years since that has happened. Um, we had a similar setup to where it wasn't a full blown recession. It was just recessionary like in certain s- sections, which is why I've been stuck on the fact that the market condition that we're in is a technical recession, but not a true full blown recession. And I don't think it's ever going to get to that. And the, Thing I will just tell you, if you're hearing it on the news, it's for sure not going to happen. Because if it was that easy, you would just turn the news on and invest your money and you'd make money. Right. That data is old. That's a headline to get you to click. The one person that I was surprised that recently brought some up about a recession was uh, Mr. Buffett. That was that was a surprise to me because I don't I don't normally disagree with Mr. Buffett, but this is going to be a time where I diverge and say just not in the it's not in the data. It does not, I don't know if you've been to the mall on a Saturday. I don't know if you've gone out on a Friday night and gone to a restaurant. Restaurants are packed. Could it still be early in that? No. And in Q3, Q4, we start seeing things slow down. Of course, let me just read this to you. Mr. Peter Schiff, our perma bear. Yep. According to uh, its recent minutes, the Fed no longer expects a soft landing, but a mild recession. What makes the Fed think the recession will be mild? Normally, the Fed doesn't even forecast any type of recession. So if they can actually see this one coming, it likely will be massive. You have to fade the Fed anytime they give you a recessionary, uh, I guess, stick in the ground. Because in September of 2022, they also said inflation was transitory, which they don't normally make comments on inflation as well. And that was completely 100% wrong. Um, there's not going to be a recession. It just, it just can't. We're tracking it over 2% GDP for Q1. Yep. 
eventually that record's going to run out of steam. Six, 16 months, people have been saying recession, 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 recession. It's not coming. Unless the Biden administration decides to go into the dictionary and start redefining again what a recession is. Uh, a dead, I don't think that narrative has a whole lot of legs behind it, right? A but dead, it, it, A dead clock is right twice a day kind of deal. True. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit because I'm hearing more and more people say, hey, despite all of the rate hikes, money remains too easy. The Fed funds rate is still below the official inflation rate and even further below the actual rate. Given that CPI has likely bottomed as it heads higher, the Fed will likely need to raise rates to avoid easing further. I'm not no, of this camp. Uh, no. You and I are not of this camp. Credit, credit. Cr no, money. M1 and M2 money supply have tightened. I again, was going to say, right? I mean, I did, again, this is where I get... Talk real quick. I don't. What like is M one M two money supply? So people it's the uh, it's means. the money that's in your checking and savings account, and then the money that's just in your checking account or just in your savings. It, it splices the money out and how people normally spend it, and it gives trends to the uh, regulators. Essentially, the day it's just this is where I get really mad and upset, and I you know get, get my sassy. I guess <laughs> there's just no data to support that. It's just a it's a it's a verbal vomit of bullshit. And all he has to do is spend five seconds with data that he has and just look at it. And then when you get these names like the Robert Kiyosaki's, the Peter Schiff's, you've been right one time and it was important or you've, you've done something to, to get yourself notoriety. And then people just think that because you say it, it's true. And it's, it's, a, it's, that's where the whole guru craze happened. And, the, and the, that's why there's all these people on social media that do all this stuff. And it, most of them are just wrong. And I don't know, I'm over here almost like an outlier. I'm not perfect. I don't have a silver bullet. I'm not doing anything with anything else that any other advisor doesn't have. Peter Schiff has way more fucking money and resources than I do. I just don't know how you can be so wrong when it's not that hard to be at least moderately right. Well, and I don't necessarily know if we were to go back and track the history of their predictions and Robert the Kiyosaki has never been correct. I, I was going to say Kiyosaki yeah, ultimately has been talking about the he, world imploding yeah, for at a, least a decade and a half, if not more. He looks like a And that's zombie. really tied to, I think, his timeline of relevance. And I, I love Kiyosaki for what he unlocked in my mind of what cash flow and wealth building assets and passive income can do for you. And at the same time, his, you know, four G's of guns, grub, uh, ground and gas being, you know, the ultimate investment in uh, pie chart in Bitcoin for, I mean, how many people that have subscribed to or followed that financial advice versus a very level-headed, holistic, long-term and balanced approach of real estate, stocks and equities and insurance you compare those two side by side, those in close. the Kiyosaki or the shift camp and those who subscribe to a more holistic, long-term, balanced, diversified approach. I mean, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing how much more profitable and sustainable and ultimately beneficial one is versus the other. Correct. And but it's, it's just, it's not, it's not sexy. I tell people all the time. What it doesn't do, get clicks. No. It doesn't. It's not super sexy. It's just you have to do this and then this happens. But I would argue that like really good real estate is not sexy. It no. just works. Uh, people will tell me, ask me all the time, don't you just love real estate? And I'm like, 
No, it's actually pretty damn boring. I mean, it really is. What it unlocks for you. I love that. Part. It is sexy. Yeah. That is sexy. The the day-to-day buying and operating real estate assets as an asset manager is really not that sexy or invigorating on a daily basis. I'm sure you clicking some buttons, looking at charts, it's not that you know sexy, but but the game that we're playing mm-hmm. and what it unlocks on the other side where of good. disciplines and actions is sexy. And so that's where I think it's really peeling back the layers of, like you said, you know, if I were to look at Peter Schiff, Robert Kiyosaki, and you really go back to their mainstream narrative and then their real track record of results of that narrative matching data points along the way that are like, yep, they nailed that. You can't find that track record with many no, of those individuals. I, I want to try Schiff to Schiff is wrong. Yeah. Kiyosaki is wrong. And again, do they have certain things that get, I, what I appreciate is the polarity and the duality to maybe my investing thesis and approach and disciplines because it forces me to have some level of healthy paranoia to continue to stress test my model that ultimately just builds a deeper moat around what it is that we're subscribed to in the first place. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Our sponsor today is Uplift Desk, creators of the best office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. You can visit upliftdesk.com and use the code MINDCAST for 5% off your order. And if you sit all day long while you're at work and you've never tried a desk that can transition between sitting and standing, you got to. It'll be a complete game changer. My standing desk is by Uplift Desk. It's what I use every day to record the show, prepare the show, do all my office work. And I got to say the transition from sitting all day to standing while I work at various times throughout the day has really made a noticeable difference for me. When I'm standing, I notice I'm way more focused and productive. I'm way more alert. And I even have a little standing treadmill under my desk now, which allows me to get some extra steps in while still plugging away on calls and getting work done. Keeps the blood flowing throughout the day, which obviously can reduce all types of different health risks repetitive strain and I've noticed that my posture has drastically improved since switching to an uplift desk as well because I'm not hunched over the computer all day and while there's a lot of options out there for you to choose from the reason I chose uplift desk is because of the quality it doesn't wobble it's completely stable it's built to last you can definitely tell based on the materials they use and they are customizable too which is really cool they let you build your custom dream desk by choosing over a hundred desktop choices and hundreds of accessories that you can build into the desk for your own perfect workspace. And you can do that by using the really fun to use desk configurator. And once you have your desk all designed and picked out, you order it, they ship it the same day, you get free shipping. They do free returns with free return shipping if something goes wrong. And the best part is they have an industry leading 15 year warranty that covers the complete desk, which was a really big deal for me. It shows that they stand behind their product for at least 15 years. So to get yours, go to upliftdesk.com and use the code MINDCAST for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com to get 5% off your entire order with the promo code MINDCAST. And again, I appreciate the conversations that those two have started. That's a, that's a shoe-in. It's just the stuff that they say is like incorrect. Just like you can, most of the stuff that you'll find on like TikTok or Instagram about like life insurance is not true. It's, it, 
if those people were saying the things and those things were true, then, then somehow they have some secret and they know this secret. And like, that's where you can red flag and know that it's like, okay, this is probably a load of bullshit. Um, the stuff that you want to do is just not going to keep you up at night thinking every single, Oh man, I'm so excited for this. It's having renters that pay rent above your costs. It's having, uh, uh, cost segs on your on your commercial properties so you're not paying taxes and you're getting all the benefits. It's having a well-diversified portfolio so you make good rates of return long-term and it's having insurance so that if something does happen, your family's protected and you can leverage against it during that time to help increase your wealth elsewhere. There's really not anything that's too more sexy than that, but it all works. That's the, that's the benefit of it. We have people like Warren Buffett who really just jammed money into the stock market and only bought stocks really forever. That's what he's done. We have people um, that are, uh, we have data that goes back to show, you know, people with $50 million net worth and 100 and 200, what do they actually own? They own those things. And I would say when you get to the level of, you know, it's a seven figure, eight figure, you're, you're buying businesses as well, because you need another vertical of cash flow yep. plus expenses. You yep. can have the tax yep. write-offs. Different tax advantages. Yeah. So I think that, you know, as we, continue down this path of, you know, the topics of conversations, why you see those types of individuals get that type of clout or spotlight is, is truly for the clicks and the views and to have some type of narrative that is so against the grain because the doomsdayers yeah. are, are rarely right. If it's super, 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 like the one that floats around that I see sometimes is like, this person talking about this like ultra complicated tax structure and have you, this person's not a CPA, they're an insurance agent and they're talking about, Oh yeah, I do this. And I, I lease a car to my business and I write off the full lease payment and I don't pay any tax on it. Dog, I don't know what fucking tax firm you're filling out, but if you take a lease payment, that is income. <laughs> so I, you're, you're wrong. And, and that it sounds great. Until I mean, you, you get audited. I think, do you think the IRS doesn't know about these loopholes? It doesn't know. There's really not that many crazy loopholes in the tax system. I mean, life insurance works because you loan it, loan against it. Loans are not taxable. And if you make more interest on your than your loan costs, that's how that works. Stocks are not mysteric, uh, uh, mystical. Real estate is not mystical. There's just a cut and dry way that it works. And if you try to overcomplicate it or add all these sweeteners, Banks have, you know, billions of dollars of life insurance because it, banks don't have life insurance because they want it. Banks have life insurance because regulators require them to have it for their tier one and tier two and tier three debt obligations, period. They don't use life insurance in the way that me and you would. They just don't. Yeah, That's also a lie. The Rockefellers didn't have a policy that, that could even be structured or exist today. The tax code and, and TAMRA limits have changed so much. So again, most of it's BS. And I'm brave enough to tell you it's BS and then show you that it can still work. Yep. It's just, you have to have the, the basis of your plan set up and it doesn't need to be anything crazy or sexy. It takes consistency and continuing through consistency when times get rough. So the last week, you know, obviously this contagion, the banking crisis, some of the concerns around the health of the banking industry has really started to simmer down a little bit. This last week, some videos of Warren Buffett doing an interview with, I forget who it was. Basically, he's saying, yeah, there's going to be more bank failures. And, and I love the way they kind of clipped the video because mm -hmm. they didn't really allow him to elaborate a lot on it. 
And as you and I started doing a little bit more digging, well, you, you I knew kind of triggered me to go and start pulling back some more stuff. And, and it was way more than what we actually even thought yeah, it was, was which essentially was more people saying, Hey, there's going to be more bank failures to come. What does this mean for the economy? Cause it could be crippling. And there's this comparison to the great financial crisis and meltdown of many banks. Mm-hmm. And there potentially being some concerns that we're going to see a repeat of that. And so you and I, Started doing some digging. You started with well. I was there. So I thought it was like five a year on average. Well, and you, I think what most people don't understand is SVB, First Foundation. These were highlighted, and one there was this hype and hysteria and all of this, you know, PR around it, as if it was a massive anomaly in the sense of being a banking failure. It was a big deal because obviously the size of these banks. That being said, as Ryan and I did some more digging, banks fail every year. Let me give you some data around how many banks fail every year that you probably don't ever hear about. So from 2010 to last year of 2022, um, and this stat is as of actually April 17th, 2023. So what is that? Yesterday. There have been a total of 597 bank failures in the United States. Mm-hmm. I'm sure outside of SVP and First Foundation, and maybe once in a while, you know, someone that maybe gets some kind of publicity, which is very rare that you could probably pinpoint, you don't hear about these. The average number of bank failures per year from 2010 to 2022 is approximately 49 banks a year. Yep. So when we were, you and I were debating, just not as, a big deal. as this is, is this a big deal or not? No. I was like, well, we know more banks are going to fail. I mean, banks are like businesses. Banks have committees and they make decisions based on what their investing thesis is for that bank and how they can go out and make money because banks are in the business of making money. And if they make bad decisions or have bad committees or executive teams, like we saw with SVP and, you know, with first foundations and they, get out in front of their skis, just like a business, a bank can fail. And so it's not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. Correct. And I think my question to you is, is there any validity behind there being more to this story outside of knowing there's this many banks that fail every year? Is there something that could potentially lead to a further ripple effect that could create some volatility in the banking industry as a whole for the United States? No. <laughs> um, if I can be, and I've, I've said that since day one, not a problem. It's all just hyped up for media. And the, the thing I kept asking people is like, okay, great. Who is Silicon Valley bank? I would have who's, never, I would have never known about Silvergate them. Bank. Yeah. I would have never known about them in, unless we had every news outlet covering who they were. Yeah, they're just not important. They're a regional bank. They're non-systemic. And the funny part is that I've just been proven right on today, yesterday, and last Friday and Thursday, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, uh, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, all beat on their reporting earnings. And you want to know why? Because people are just going to move to bigger banks. Just like I said would eventually happen anyway. Um, Now, a lot of people bitch and moan about, oh, you know, then there's no competition. There's like four banks in Europe. You know that, right? Like four. And is that have, a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great thing. 
Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. It is a great thing because they all have, guess what? That's a fallacy that less creates no competition because then there's, then there's not 600 different banking products. There's four. That's a clear and concise, which is the best. And they're all four. People are going to have to look at four options when they go and look at the, it's way easier. I mean, how many times have you heard of somebody? Oh yeah, I have this regional bank that I know of that you've never heard of that's in my area that pays this rate that's just better and you don't know about it because you don't know about them. It's not the same as like a, a grocery store or something like that. There should be less banks. It would be better for everybody if there was less banks. Banks should be independent from the federal government and they should be, but if there was JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, City, and Bank of America, and maybe uh, Capital One or something like that, we'd be fine. We would not need that. We don't need the regional banks because ultimately when regional banks get outside of their zone on something, they go to support to the larger banks anyway to get that product pushed through. You're always going to end up at a large bank at the end of the day. They have better rates on products because they have larger economies of scale. It would be better for everybody if there was less banks. And I'm sorry for people that work at a regional bank or... I'm not hating on you or anything. It's just the fact of the matter. There's too many banks that, that people don't have to compete for your business. That sounds so bass backwards, but you really want less banks so that then there's a high level of transparency. So then all of them have to compete for your business. Apple just showed up everybody today and pretty much said, we're just going to take all the money from the banks just by offering a 4.5% high yield savings. Yeah, of Apple's 4.15 savings, 4.15% uh, savings account marks golden age of cash. That headline was interesting to me. I saw it come out more and more people talking about it. Is there any anything to pay they, attention to there? And why, what, what is the method behind their madness with that? you know, that approach. I said a couple of weeks back that banks were going to have to start vying and actually fighting to keep their customer deposits. And I think that's what's going to start happening. I mean, I bank at Chase. 
um, for the company and myself and they pay me 0.02% mm-hmm. on a very large account, I wouldn't be surprised if that rate starts creeping up. Which I don't, I don't, I was going to say, I don't mind Apple doing this because all it's doing when we're talking about competition it's make everybody is making the bar get raised a little bit instead of people going, you know, I'm practically losing money by keeping it in. And you do know. you realize that there's, I can, there's 30 or 40 regional banks that pay much higher than that, but you'll never know about them because never they heard of don't. Them. Exactly. So why is it so quick with Apple? Because they're big. They're they well they're big and they're recognized. If we can have that down to four or five banks in the U.S., everything would be better. So to recap on that, then this move by Apple, ultimately, in your opinion, is going to serve the customers oh, yeah. and give them a little bit more leverage when it comes to allocating who you decide to put your funds with and bank with. Yeah, it's going to make banks have to function more as a, a, a like, how they used to function. Like when you used to go, you know, there didn't used to be a bunch of big banks. It was all regional style banks. You know, Wells Fargo was here in California, actually in our neck of the woods in Sacramento and Auburn. You would go drive to that branch. The They would know yeah, you right. at that branch. Yeah, I haven't been in a damn bank your money is so long. I can't like, even remember. You couldn't go to a Wells Fargo in a different town. They didn't have your money. Yep. It was at that. It's different times. So the relationship, them fighting, vying and fighting for your business, them paying you yield. Now it's almost like they've gone to this, like it's your privilege to work with us. And that's getting flipped back on its head. And anytime the pendulum swings, like you were saying, one way too far, it just gets pulled harder and harder and harder back the other direction. And we're going to see it get pulled pretty hard. We should start seeing savings accounts and checking accounts look like our parents. So does that lead to a problem for the banks and do the margins and profits of of banks shrink? You just saw uh, Webull, which is, uh, I use Webull for yep. some of my yeah, personal Yeah, it's like a Robin Hood. They just decided that they're going to pass through 100% of the cash yield to their customers and take none of it. And that's a whole segment of their profit that they decided to get rid of. Their CEO said, this is the new, new. You're going to have to start making money in other places. They make money on order flow, just yep. kind of like a lot of places do. They make money on uh, selling call and put positions and stuff like that. But they got rid of their profitability on cash. They make zero money on cash and pass it all through to their customers. That is a not a loss leader for them, but no longer a revenue uh, of revenue vertical that they have at all. And they did that to attract more deposits. You know, th- obviously, there's a lot of downsides that come with the technology age with social media. But one of the things that I really do believe is a massive benefit to Main Street, it, at least in terms of the, the financial world, the money game that we're all trying to play and win at a high level, is this one, access to information and us mm-hmm. actually being able to, to, to sharpen our financial tools on our belt and be a little bit more equipped to engage in these conversations, to engage in these debates, to engage in these negotiations, to actually benefit us. The other side that I think is phenomenal is it really has created a new level of transparency and accountability in this money game as to who are the big players that are winning this game at the highest of levels and maybe some of the rules that they're bending or maybe just the way the rules are established and set up in their favor and not in ours. And it really has created somewhat of this 
negotiating power for us to start asking questions and and really trying to understand why things are done the way they're done. And if they can't be changed, how can you get it to work in your favor or play it to the best of your capacity to win? At the same time, asking enough questions loud enough for some of these rules to start getting retooled a little bit. Yeah, and I think that like Elon taking over Twitter, that was something that'll happen with the mainstream media. You see a lot of them quitting Twitter because they're, you know, we take 70% government funding and they don't like that being known. And you're starting to see a mix up in the transparency level. And um, it was funny that that's kind of the way that everything is going. It's just modernization and you either you move and you change and you grow or you get left behind. Mm -hmm. So shifting over a little bit to the real estate side of things, We've got some March housing start data that just came out. Um, we have seen single family units under construction peak. And that was since single family uh, starts have now started declining as of this last month. We now are seeing March housing starts with the most multifamily under construction since 1973. There's some interesting stuff happening here. Multifamily through the pandemic was the golden child, right? Everybody said the demand for multifamily, you know, rents are raising, cap rates were getting compressed down. It was, you know, just continuing to grow and grow every single month. All kinds of equity was parking in, you know, multifamily because it felt and seemed like the most stable asset class, at least on real estate side, during a massive world pandemic and crisis shelter being one of the most important things during that time, especially when you were locked into your house. So we're starting to see that rents are softening. We are seeing a lot of the short-term debt that was secured over the last few years becoming due here. And to give you some data around that, as a pending wave of 1.5 trillion in commercial real estate maturities crests in the next three years, which there's a company that does a lot of data reporting called TREP, um, a record 152 billion in commercial mortgage-backed securities um, for rental apartment buildings is going to expire this year in 2023. We've already seen in some headlines some massive funds. REITs and portfolios go into default or actually begin foreclosure proceedings. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what this looks like over the next 12 to really probably three to five years, because that's generally, you know, three to five year, maybe seven year timelines on a lot of commercial properties of when they acquire and look to either refi to get debt back out or new debt on, um, as well as pay out investors you know, recycle, move up. Um, that's all going to come due. But based on $35 billion of securitized debt on multifamily properties scheduled to mature this year, about $35 billion in debt secured by multifamily assets um, is going to ultimately need to find another lender to come in right behind them and clear that debt out. Well, if rents have been softening, and their financials aren't as strong, and the values, which 
have been projected to have dropped about 20% since I think end of Q3 of last year, you're going to see a lot of these investors and lenders get hit mm -hmm. and, and, and get caught in that crosshair. So what once was the golden child of commercial real estate is now starting to show some cracks. And I don't, I think this is just the beginning. Beautiful thing is there's going to be some great opportunities. And that leads us to why hmm, one of the largest, if not largest now, real estate hedge fund in the world, Blackstone, has just closed out a record-breaking $30 billion in funds. What do you think they're going to do with that money? Buy commercial real estate. <laughs> buy commercial real estate. Yeah. You know, there's only so much single-family real estate you, you can buy. I mean, and ultimately, they don't see the opportunity in single-family real estate as they do right now in commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. I always like to pay attention to the big boys and big girls who are way smarter, have way more resources, way more data, way more people on staff to go through all of that and create predictions. And oftentimes, pretty good ones. They're pretty accurate. They got lots of money. And $30 billion in funds, that's just cash. When they lever up debt, four to five times, maybe six times that. So we're talking 180 plus billion dollars in commercial real estate that they can take a swing at. And my guess is they're cashing up now for what they think is coming in future quarters, which, oh, wait a second. What did we see in the data? Oh, that's right. $1.5 trillion worth of real estate. So they're going to be able to take a pretty nice swing at, let's say, 10% of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, about 3 to 5% of that. Right? That's, a, that's, a, that's probably what they would end up locking up of that amount. And that's a quite a bit. Because what will eventually happen is they'll, if you have a large piece of the pie, you'll take another piece and another pie and yep. so on and so forth. So when you look at, you know, all the investors who binged on multifamily properties, who are binged on office or binged on retail, and then all of a sudden you saw the work from home trend and all of a sudden you saw rents continue to soften and you saw cap rates start to expand and you saw values begin to drop and now lending has really started to tighten up, Right. A lot of lenders for those types of asset classes, unless they're smoking deals, they got alligator arms right now. They're not, they're not bringing the wallet book out and, you know, showing loans out. So when you've got, you know, a lot of investors who had adjustable rate mortgages that had a 3.4% 12 or 18 months ago, and those are resetting to seven, eight, depending on certain lenders, 9%, well, people are going to be hurting. So if anything, that's going to create some great opportunity. Even if you're not taking a swing at $30 billion worth of real estate, there's going to be that trickle down effect that creates some really great opportunity for Main Street investors, mid-level, family office level types of investors that I think is all it takes. I always said all it takes is one deal mm -hmm. to completely set up you, your family, and future generations. And if you're talking with the right people, you're building the right relationships, you're doing the right research, getting yourself in the right conversations and looking for the right opportunities. A blind squirrel stumbles upon an acorn every once in a while, and that's all it takes in a cycle like this. So I'm really excited because I think we may see in certain asset classes and sectors similar buy opportunities in commercial, not in single family, but in commercial like we saw after the post-financial crisis. I, I would agree. Yeah. Maybe not as quick 
and it won't be as yep. like right. bad because it's commercial stuff, right? Businesses don't get as much empathy as individuals, but there's going to be a ton of opportunity. So with that being said, you know, we're going to keep you guys in the loop. Single family still ripping and roaring. Not a whole lot to report there. Inventory is down 1.3% week over week. Still has shown that it hasn't bottomed seasonally, which normally by this time it has. So demand is still high. Even with rates, we still have very, honestly, record low inventory ever. Uh, We're still less than double the amount of inventory we had in uh, 50% uh, in 2019. So we got a long ways to go for single family, but pay attention to commercial real estate because there's going to be some great opportunities there. And when you got the big boys like Blackstone and other large funds starting to cash up, right? They're digging the well before they want to start scooping that water. So I would say end of this year and looking into 2024, some massive commercial opportunities that I am excited about and hopefully you are as well. So with that being said, we are wrapping up on that note. We appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. Thanks for everybody that watched the live stream with us here today. Again, don't forget to head over to millionermindcast.com. We got all kinds of great things in the store. Of course, all of the episodes on the Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays are on the website as well. You can find us on all podcasting, streaming platforms. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of your free financial x-ray. Uh, to connect with Ryan and his team, text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. For my credit investors, get on my deals list for passive income investments and those offerings. When those get put out by texting the word deals to that same phone number, And with that being said, guys, we will see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out and last Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.